All right. So uh, let us get into our Bible study. For those that are new, we're studying the Gospel of Mark. This is Lesson 26 this year. We're up to Mark 13 and verses 19 through 37. What I've been doing is trying to just explain this commentary-wise, verse by verse. And also then we have been taking the comments of Charles Spurgeon out of his Bible and putting them on the back of our sheets. Now you notice there is none here because this same prophetic text was taught in Matthew 24, and Spurgeon put all of his notes under Matthew 24, but this is the same text. There's seven major prophecies in the New Testament. This is one of them right here, Mark chapter 13. Out of the seven major prophecies of the New Testament, Jesus spoke five of them. He spoke five of them. And uh, we should worship him, and we should thank him uh, for doing us the favor of telling us what's going to happen. In fact, how thorough was he? I want you to notice verse 23. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. Uh, That's a wonderful Savior. Uh, Wouldn't it be nice? I wish I could go back sometimes as a parent and because there's some things I forgot to tell my kids, you know, and I, I say, boy, I wish I'd have told them this, or I wish I'd have told them this, or I wish I'd have prepared them for this. Now, did you ever feel that way as parents? Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I, I felt like I missed a few things that I wish I had told them, but not the Lord. He says, behold, I have told you all things. We ought to worship Him. We ought to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for prophecy. As I've said many times before, you'll search in vain for one accurate word of prophecy anywhere in the writings of Buddhism or Islam or Hinduism. And, uh, but to hear the whole chapter, the entire chapter, even the first 18 verses, which we did about three weeks ago, is on the future. It's on the future. The Lord telling us, and He's a, he's a wonderful Savior uh, for doing that for us. I know it's hard to watch the things that are happening on earth right now, and the way people are becoming, and the way, um, you know, uh, things are happening, Uh, but it's not a shock to any one of us that knows prophecy, and I want to encourage you to study prophecy, not to be sensational, but just to know what's going on so you don't get rattled, so you don't get shook up, but rather your faith is strengthened, and you say, oh, I knew that was going to happen, the Lord said so. Even though we don't like watching it happen, still it helps our faith. Evil seducers show wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Uh, it hurts to watch that happen. I know the Boston College uh, came out with a big study that said that even children in the womb are confused about their gender. Evil seducers show wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. That's the first thing that popped into my mind when I read that report. They're deceived, and they're deceiving others, and they're waxing worse and worse. So as much as we shake our heads, and that hurts our hearts to hear educated professors say that, uh, it doesn't shock us. What will they be saying five years from now? Or ten years from now? And, and so study prophecy just, just so you won't get rattled 
as this whole world unravels. In fact, in our first verse tonight where we pick up at verse 19, Jesus says, For in those days shall be affliction, such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And so the worst is yet to come. Um, just great to drive out on a Wednesday night like that, and that's the first thing you hear, you know. <laughs> the worst is yet to come. But uh, in the context, though, some of these prophecies are hard to understand because in the context, keep in mind, he is speaking to a Jewish audience. And he is preparing the Jews in a lot of this New Testament prophecy for the tribulation period, which we will not be in if we are saved. If you're saved, you will be delivered by an event called the rapture, spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. You will be delivered before the seven years of tribulation on earth, such as the world has never seen. And during those days, verse 19, there shall be affliction. Now this word affliction has many King James Bible synonyms. In other words, the Greek word for affliction is also translated into words in the King James such as uh, tribulation, trouble, anguish, persecution, distress, straits, S-T-R-A-I-T-S, straits. Straits means a very, very narrow way, very difficult to get through. Uh, pressed, um, like that place down at Panama Rocks or something. They got a, a little pass through the rocks called Fat Man's Misery. That's what it's called. Those are straights. You barely get through it. And um, affliction means that, that there's coming a time. The Lord said, now think of what the world's been through. World War I, World War II, the Crusades, the Dark Ages. You just think of the, the horrific times the world has been through. And verse 19 says, The world has never since the creation had a time like this that's coming on earth during the tribulation. And he's warning the Jews here. And verse 20 is simply what we call mercy. And God does this for us sometimes too. It's called mercy. Notice the actions of God in verse 20. And except that the Lord had shortened those days. No flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, that's the Jews who, who will be getting saved in the tribulation period, whom he hath chosen, such as the 144,000 Jewish virgin men, young men, in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14, God has chosen them to be saved and to renew the world with evangelism. They are the first fruits of the tribulation period. That's because there won't be one saved person left when the trib starts. And these 144,000 will be the first fruits, it says. First one saved during that dispensation. Uh, for their sakes, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. Isn't that great? And I think God has done that for all of us, whether we recognize it or not. But God has shortened our days sometimes. When we were going through sickness, uh, when we were going through distress, when we were going through hardships, He came rushing to our aid and brought us out of those seasons before the time was up. And a lot of us should thank the Lord for the times He's shortened those days uh, in our lives 
when we were going through things. So I call this verse 20 mercy. Verse 21, And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not, for false Christ and false prophet shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. So even during the tribulation period, Satan is going to be at work with false prophets, false Christ, trying to deceive, if it were even possible, the, the elect. Now you can imagine that because those that get saved in the tribulation are babes in Christ at best with not one single local church on the face of the earth or pastor they can go to. Not that pastors have all the answers, but isn't it great that we have some people that have been around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the Word of God and we can go to them and say, what should I do? Imagine being in the tribulation, there's not one church left, not one pastor left, Everybody gets saved as a babe in Christ. There's just worldwide persecution. You shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake, Jesus said in Matthew 24 about the trib. And so I, I kind of doubt there will be any church planning. But there will be soul winning and evangelism and revival. But there's also going to be false Christ. The devil's there. I mean, going back to Moses, he had his magicians and, and, and going back to... Uh, the first family, he had his canes uh, with his false doctrine and practice uh, of salvation by works. And uh, right up to the, to the last tribulation, there's going to be false Christ and false prophets that are going to arise and show signs and wonders. And in Revelation, I think it's 12, but don't quote me on that, it talks about how they're even going to call fire down from heaven. I don't know how that's going to happen or be allowed. I have no idea. But, but there's going to be just signs and wonders. I want to encourage you today, don't look for signs and wonders. Okay, look for the Bible. Open the Scriptures up. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So don't be deceived by signs and miracles and wonders and oh, this person's doing that or this person's doing that or, or whatever. No, no. Now, by the way, this is the second time he brings this up in this chapter. We don't have before us verses 1 through 6, but he started out Mark 13 warning us about false Christs and false prophets. And now the second time in one chapter he brings that up here in this major prophecy. But take ye heed, verse 23, Behold, I have foretold you all things. That's wonderful. He's foretold us all things. Christ did his part. And, uh, but our part is the first part of verse 23. But take ye heed. What good is it if he told us all things if we don't study it? If we don't pay attention to it. Now, <coughs> prophecy is one of the four great reasons why you and I should believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus said this in John 13 and verse number 19, Now I tell you, before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am He. That's the purpose of prophecy. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you before it comes, so when it does happen, you might believe in me. John 13 and verse 19. In the next chapter, he said the same thing. Now, he's saying this in the upper room, okay? This is 
the night before he's crucified in the upper room where they had the Passover dinner and the Lord's Supper was instituted. He says also in John 14, in that same discourse in the upper room to his disciples, and now I have told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. And so whether it's past prophecies or present prophecies we see being fulfilled or precursors to future prophecies we start seeing in the works, it's also you could believe in Jesus Christ. Not to be saved, but just to have greater faith. Like those of Thessalonica, it says their faith grows, grew exceedingly. So you can get saved and have this much faith, that's wonderful. But after you get saved, your faith can grow exceedingly, all of you, mine too. And it can become stronger and stronger and stronger if we'll take heed and pay attention. And boy, the prophecies that Christ said, my, like I said, five out of the seven major prophecies of the New Testament were all the words of Christ. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 51, 51 verses of prophecy. Jesus, again, no other religious leader that's ever walked on this earth has ever even said that much prophecy. Five major prophecies are all the words of Jesus Christ. You can count on him. You can trust him. You can depend on him. You can follow him. He knows what's going to happen. You can trust your eternal soul tonight to him if you're not saved. Uh, He knows the end from the beginning. And so, but we need to take heed, verse 23, pay attention to the words of Christ. I have foretold you all things. What a statement. He says, everything you need to know, I've told you. Everything you need to know, I've told you. But in those days, verse 24, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers of our, that are in heaven shall be shaken. These cataclysmic signs have never happened before in nature. But all you can do is believe they're going to happen because everything else Jesus said has come to pass. And uh, so at the end of the tribulation, there's going to just be absolutely cataclysmic signs happening um, with the moon and the stars and the sun and uh, so on. And that's uh, pretty scary stuff right there. Uh And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. This is the second coming of Christ. The first time he came was to Bethlehem. First time he planted his feet on this earth was with Bethlehem, a little baby. And he lived for 33, 33 and a half years, 12,000 days. He showed himself alive physically to this earth. But he's coming again physically back to this earth. And that's what verse 26 is talking about. It is given, we are given more details about that in the Old Testament book of Zechariah 14 and verse 4, which says this, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, Toward the east and towards the west, and there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove towards the north, and half 
of it towards the south. So even a cataclysmic event will take place when Jesus comes. The next place the Lord's feet will stand physically on the earth will be the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been there. Some of you are going there in February. It's pretty neat. In fact, we should believe this. You know the Muslims believe this? So if you go, when you go to Israel, you'll notice something. Some of you are going in February. If Jerusalem's over here and the Mount of Olives is over here, there's a valley called the, the Kidron Valley right here. And the Muslims got graves all through here. Uh, they put all their graves through there because they believe they're going to stop the Messiah from coming in. Going to get in his way. You know, It'd be like stepping over pebbles. Uh, for the Lord, but uh, that was their thinking. Uh, they believe this. They believe this. They believe the Old Testament. They, they really do. They, they, the Muslims believe the Old Testament are the writings of God. And uh, remember, they, they claim Abraham is their father. And uh, so they're probably reading this and say, boy, we got to just line up our tombs here and everything so he doesn't get in. <laughs> And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory. We already read that. Verse 27. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Uh, this is also talking about, in the book of Revelation, another rapture. This of uh, tribulation saints, people who have been born again all over the world, will also be taken out at the end of the tribulation, and people confuse that with the pre-trib where we're taken out. This would be post-trib, but this is tribulation saints who are taken out and harvested. The Lord will not lose one of them, and this would be the duty of His angels to harvest them. Now the first of two parables in Mark 13, verse 28, and I'll learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is near. So ye in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Now this is called the parable of the fig tree. Some people believe this is a reference to Israel. The fig tree is a picture of Israel. I've studied that thing out as much as I can. I don't see it. But maybe it's in there. Maybe the fig tree is some kind of a picture of, of the nation of Israel, and I'm, I'm, I'm just missing it. But if it is, and that's how it is interpreted by many, the, the, a fig tree with his branches yet tender and putting forth leaves, you shall know that summer is near. Now, if that's the nation of Israel, we think of that fig tree being planted in 1948. And uh, certainly that would be a young tree where, whose branch is tender, putting forth leaves compared to all of history. That would be very young nation planted. You know that summer is near. But I think the Lord's just saying, look, all these signs I've given to you, it's the same as looking at a fig tree and you see some tender leaves and you say, summer's coming. Just like you do with any other tree. Uh, in fact, one time, I don't know which account it is, the Lord said, behold the fig tree and all the trees. 
And, and, and you know that, just, just the consistency of God every spring. Uh, you say, oh, summer's coming. Look at daffodils, crocuses, irises, you know, and uh, snowbells and, and hyacinths. And, you know, you see little uh, buds on the trees. You say, summer's coming. Summer's coming. I think he's talking about prophecies here. When you see these prophecies being filled more than Israel. But, but if it is Israel, then it says, Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Um, that was about 75 years ago. How long a generation is is debatable by, again, many Bible commentaries and everything. Um, But if we took it literally, it could mean that anybody who's been born 1948, some of them will still be alive. They're 75 years old now. Some of them will still be alive when these things be done. So I, I I don't know if it applies to Israel or not, so I don't like to get too sensational about date setting. But verse 31 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So after the tribulation, after the millennium, God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. This one's going to cease this is going to, this one right here that we live on is going to melt in a fervent heat, the Bible says. And the heavens we look up at all the time and it's so beautiful, they're going to just wrap God's going to wrap them away like a scroll. And someday Revelation 21 is going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. So even though heaven and earth as we know it shall pass away, notice the eternality of his words, but my word shall not pass away. You know, a bestseller on the New York Times at the most lasts for seven years before it just goes away, just dissipates. God's Word's been around for thousands of years, and it's still the bestseller every year. And the most widely distributed book on earth every year is the Word of God. And uh, why? Because Jesus said so. That's why. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word shall not pass away. My word shall not pass away. Six billion copies of the King James Bible have been printed. There's no book on earth on any subject that's ever come close to that. And that's just our English King James Bible. Think of the other good Bibles from the Masoretic text, received text in other languages, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, whatever else is out there. And they just keep printing them. And... um, Because his words, that's Jesus' words being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. The Bible is an indestructible book. I think it was Voltaire who said, uh, you know, I went through the Bible. And I just cut down all the truths in the Bible like a man going through the forest with an axe cutting down trees. And there it stands, nothing left. Well, when he died, a Bible society bought his house and used it as a storage place for Bible distribution. Voltaire's gone, but the Bible's still doing well. And uh, his word cannot be bound, it cannot be broken, and it is eternal, it will never pass away. Now this is important, verse 32, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Now here's a, here's a, a verse that has caused some 
perplexity because we believe in the omniscience of God. And this verse says that the Son doesn't know when he's going to return to the earth. And so how can he be omniscient but not know something? You know, if you read in the book of Jeremiah, I think it's four times, it talks about the wickedness and the evil of Israel's day. And it says this about God. It says, neither came it into my mind that people would do that. Never came into his mind. And so some people, especially cults, love this verse and say, see, Jesus is not God. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know. This is in the context of an Eastern marriage. An Eastern marriage. Which we we have to know. Now, by the way, has God forgotten your sins? I mean, if you said to him, boy, I'm sure sorry about that when I was 40, 40 years ago and I used to blaspheme your name. What would he say according to the Scriptures? I don't know what you're talking about. Our sins and iniquities will he remember no more. So it must be God can, he's so great he can do anything, he can even forget things. And choose not to remember them. Uh, In fact, one of his many faceted definitions of love is love thinketh no evil, which literally means love keeps no record of somebody else's wrongs. And so Jesus, the Son of God, who can do anything, can also choose to not know the day He's coming, but leave that up to His Father. Now in the Eastern marriages, this fits in. Our understanding of the Eastern marriages where they, the the, uh, uh, bridegroom, the man, would be building a house before his marriage, And he would be making all the preparations. And then when the father observed that his son was finally ready with all the preparations to have a wife, the father would then give the son permission to go and get his wife. They were already espoused. They had already gotten into a a legal uh, relationship as husband and wife, but they were not physically together. That's how marriages work. And that son had to prepare a house and, and everything else he needed to prepare before he went to get his bride. You see some wisdom in that? Imagine if we did it that way. That'd be something else. And then the father would say to the son, okay, son, you're ready? Go get your bride. And that's the pattern that God set, that is practiced in heaven too. The bride's business was to always be ready for the unexpected arrival of her groom to come and get her. That was her business. Always be ready for him to come and get her. That's how marriages work. We don't think that way in America. But you've got to study that out to understand the Bible. Now what is Jesus doing right now? On John 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, physically together. Right now, the Apostle Paul says, I have espoused you as one virgin to Christ. We are a spouse. We are legally married to Christ right now. The church is the bride of Christ, but we're physically separated. But there's coming a day when the Father is going to say to the Son, go get your bride, and boy, there's going to be a trumpet blast. Voice of the archangel is going to say, come up hither. And the bride will go to meet the groom, and it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What's he doing? Preparing a place for us. Now, some have observed, I think it's a good observation, I don't know what your opinion is, but if you look around and see what he did in six days, that's pretty fascinating. I was watching those Moody videos, Kathy, that you gave me, the science videos, that just like blows your mind about science and the earth and the planets and the universes and stuff and the galaxies and, you know, our our Milky Way galaxy, we think it's so big, but it's a little out of like dust compared to the billions of other galaxies and in that spot of dust we call the Milky Way is even an even more dinky spot of dust called Earth and a bunch of people on it thinking they're the biggest you know, big heads and thinking life revolves around them wow so if he made all that in six days what did he do in the last 2,000 years going to be something well we got to finish up here so that that's that's my explanation of verse 32 uh, the son has just submitted to the father and has allowed him to be the one that decides when he goes to get his bride and uh, so what are we to do take ye heed verse 33 watch and pray Take ye heed literally means to, to, to the beholding eye. We are supposed to physically take heed. That means we're supposed to be watching physically. And, and we can see so many things physically. We can see Israel going back to its land, for instance. We can see man getting worse. We can see things happening with our eyes. So there is a, a, spirit, uh, there is a physical approach to prophecy and then a spiritual one. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Now notice the word watch in verse 31. The word watch in verse 35. And then he ends verse 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. That's a military term. It's the picture of somebody walking guard. If any of you have ever been in the military, you've been assigned to guard duty. Everybody gets guard duty sometime. You better be watching. Everyone else is sleeping. You better be watching. I remember that when I, when I had to guard the ammo dump at Fort Gordon in Georgia. Man, you, you, you had to stay up all night. You had to fight off sleep. And, and, and you, you, just had, you had a, you know, a shotgun with two rounds in it, and you just had to walk around that thing and make sure nobody got near that thing. They were counting on you. Watch and pray. Man, we've got to be watching. We've got to be praying. We, 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 this day should not... Come upon us, Paul said, as a thief. You and I need to physically be watching and saying, hey, I see things happening that look like the last days to me, and spiritually watching and praying. For ye know not, verse 33, verse 35, for ye know not 
When the time is, verse 33, when the master of the house cometh, you know not. So watch. You know not. Don't ever believe anyone who says they know or anybody who sets times or dates. Like the guy who wrote the book, 88 Reasons, God, Jesus is Coming in 1988. Remember he published that book? <clears throat> Made a lot of money on it. Don't, don't listen to them, but don't, don't be in the dark either. For the Son of Man is as a man, here's the second parable, taken a far journey. Boy, he sure has. <laughs> I mean, for 2,000 years, people have been, Lord, Lord, where'd you go? You and Paul thought he was coming back in his day, but who left his house and gave authority to his servants, that's us, and to every man his work, that's you. The Lord left you here for something, to do a work. He says, I'm going away on a long journey, okay? I'm giving you authority, and, and, and I'm giving you a work to do, and, and you that are porters, I'm commanding you to watch. Watch you therefore, for you know not what manner, what, when the master of the house cometh. Now notice this, at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. All these are going to happen at the same time. Why? Because the earth is round. The earth is round. Another text said that's going to be some people sleeping, some people working at the grindstone. Uh, when the Lord's going to come, one shall be taken, the other shall be left. Because the earth is round. How do we know the earth is round? The Bible says so in Isaiah 40 and verse number 22. It's the circle of the earth. The Bible says the earth is round. Man thought it was flat up till 1492 and Columbus sailed the ocean blue and and uh, the Bible said it was round 700 years before Christ. The earth is round. A lot of amazing science in the Bible. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. I think that's going to be the lot of some people when Jesus comes. All these signs and they're still slept through it. You ever sleep through a thunderstorm? And somebody says, What? You slept through that? Yeah. How'd you sleep through that? That's so how you wonder about some of these signs and prophecy. How'd you sleep through that? I think Jesus is going to say that. How'd you sleep through that? I, I foretold you all things, and you didn't wake up. But we have this promise, and I'll close with this First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. He's not going to leave the sleeping behind. He's going to say, hey, sleep in beauty, come on. Let's go. It's time to, time to go to heaven. So, But let's be awake when Jesus comes. Let's be acting and living like we knew he was coming and making our days count uh, for him. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word tonight. And uh, we, we, we pray, Holy Spirit, about some of these things we don't know, we don't know how to explain, that, that we wouldn't trip over them or stop at them. But sometimes we just have to go around a truth and keep walking in our journey until we 
learn that truth down the road. Uh, Lord, we just pray now for the Holy Spirit to wake us all up, uh, Lord, that we wouldn't be lukewarm but on fire for God. And uh, watching, taking heed, praying, witnessing, uh, Lord, to those that are yet lost about how soon we are close to coming to their doom. And so use us, Lord. Use our soul-winning efforts. Uh, Stir someone up even tonight in this room to be on fire for Thee, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.